Hello, I'm Katie Piper, and welcome to my podcast, Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. Each episode, I'll meet an amazing person with an incredible story who faced adversity and came through the other side to inspire others. Today, I'm talking to Jack Ayres. After a debilitating condition in his leg left Jack in pain, even just walking, he chose at the age of 16 to have his leg amputated. He's since gone on to become the first ever amputee, Mr. England, and is also a personal trainer, a GB paracanoe athlete, a charity ambassador and catwalk model. He tells me how he turned his life around after his surgery, away from drugs and alcohol, and how another amputee inspired him to go ahead with the surgery and achieve his dreams. Jack, thanks for um, coming on to talk to me today. Thank you very much. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, I'm currently 29, Mm -hmm. and I'm living in uh, East Midlands. Right. I'm a British canoe athlete. I've been invited onto the programme October last year. July last year, I actually won the title of Mr. England, and I'm also a personal trainer as well. Wow, okay. So you have a very busy diary. I do have a busy diary, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So with the um, being an athlete, what led you to this sport, to the to the canoeing? So I, I was based in Bournemouth mm-hmm. um, for around six years, and I had a strong client base in Bournemouth, working with clients both able-bodied and less so. So this um, is with the personal training? With the personal right. training, okay. yeah. And uh, just for general fitness, just because I really enjoy being outside, I love being on the water. So I used to do a lot of water skiing, I used to do a lot of open water swimming in the sea, mm-hmm. but I also used to do a bit of kayaking and right. canoeing. And my local club, Paul Harbour Canoe Club, received an email. And it was from British Canoeing. Mm-hmm. And they were looking for new talent for a brand new discipline called the VAR. And this was looking for talent for Tokyo 2020. Right. And they invited me to Nottingham, which is where their sort of uh, headquarters is based. Mm-hmm. And they put me on a five-day trial. My goodness. I yeah. Mean, I mean, okay, you're a PT, so you're physically fit at this point, but you're not an athlete at this point, right? No, but I'd like to say that I've always trained like an athlete. Okay. So I, I really enjoy training hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, I use it as pain relief. So for me, actually being in the gym is my way of building self-confidence and also pain relief as well. And it always has been. And for those listening who who don't know your background, why why was confidence an issue for you when you were younger? So... I was, I was actually born with a condition in my right leg, mm-hmm. um, and the condition was called PFFD, right. or Proximal Femoral Focal Deficiency, and it's a birth defect, basically. So yeah, so I was born with this condition in my leg. It got progressively worse and worse mm-hmm. through childhood. Um, it affected my femur and my hip joint. Right. So were you in a lot of pain as a child? Then? Yeah. So yeah. It, it affected the muscles around the femur and the hip joint as well. So it became very underdeveloped, mm-hmm. which meant that I was... Um, underdeveloped on one side so it put a lot of pressure on my back which put a lot of pressure on my hips which put a lot of pressure uh, on my on my walking as well so mm-hmm. yeah it became quite a lot of discomfort ended mm-hmm. up having various operations to have my hip rebuilt and so did you miss out on a lot of education and school if you were in hospital yeah yeah I did I did miss on quite a lot more than I would have wanted to mm-hmm. um it's, it's weird it's, it's kind of a foggy memory for me really it almost felt normal like, I didn't really realise that I was, I'm wiggling my fingers here, disabled mm-hmm. until... Do until, you use that word or are no, you anti that word? Do you know what? I've got this label around my neck of being disabled and people understand the word disabled. Mm-hmm. And it's a way of making people understand where I'm coming from. Mm-hmm. But I hate the word disabled. Well, Handicapped, you, disabled, I, I don't use it. How would you describe or define yourself? I'm an amputee. Right. I've got one leg. I'm an mm-hmm. amputee. There's nothing I can't do. I can run, I can lunge, I can squat, I can... 
I can do anything. Like, yeah, I'm not yeah. disabled. It doesn't restrict me. I'm not unable, so I'm not disabled. Yeah. And, you're, I mean, you're sat in front of me now. You're a confident 29-year-old man and, and, like you said, extremely able. But what was the young Jack like? I mean, you talked about school. I mean, it's a really hard time whether you're able or disabled. Mm. It is, it, and there is a hard time. And, like, it's a really fragile period of someone growing up, you know. And I think that I was very lost. You mm-hmm. know, I, I really, really wanted to relate to somebody. Right. I really wanted to kind of learn from somebody. But I lived I live in a small town called Wells, which is near Glastonbury right. in Somerset. Um, and there, I was the only disabled kid in the school. That's so tough. I, I was very singled out. I was very alone, or how I felt anyway. I was very alone. You know, I had to, you know, find my own way of doing things. I was always into sport. So mm-hmm. I was always playing football. I played football for school, played rugby, played cricket. I used to swim for county. I used to horse ride. I used to do loads and loads but of How stuff. did you do all that when you had the medical condition with your leg, though? Surely if you were in extreme pain, um, yeah. how did you, you... Was it just mental? What do you think it was? That mental strength? Because Because my friends were doing it. Right. And you know, like I said, I didn't really realise I was disabled until it started looking at careers. Mm-hmm. I didn't realise that nobody else was in pain. I thought it was normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was just as fast as everybody else. It got progressively worse, my condition. Mm. So, you know, my early school years, I was running around and I was just like everyone else. I had a bit of like a knee brace and stuff to support my leg. But... Did physical activity make it worse? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, it absolutely. would inflame and... Mm. Right, okay. Yeah, and I, like I said, I had my hip rebuilt a number of times because my hip is very fragile. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been into plaster up from my armpits down to my ankles. Mm. I mean, this this podcast is about choices mm. and it's a funny word to attribute to you because it kind of reminds me of that that quote of, well, you never know how strong you are until being strong is the only choice you have. Yeah. So some could say you got to a certain stage um, in your life where you had a choice to amputate your leg. Was it a choice? It, what, do you feel you were faced with a choice or was that the only option really left to you? I mean, you were 16 then, right? I was 16, yeah. Yeah, it was completely my choice. It was elective surgery. So basically what was happening was uh, through my younger years of school, my condition got worse and I b- became a lot more pain and they started talking about career. And that's, I got into a bit of a downward spiral because of this career. I was kind of like, just realised I was disabled, can't be in the military, can't do all the things that my friends want to do. Is that what you wanted to do, a, mil- a military career? I, I, did, I was a bit naive to it. I didn't really know what the military was, but yeah. I'm a practical guy. I'm a physical guy and I really fancied this, you know, adventure lifestyle. Um, and it wasn't until the teachers kind of said to me, let's think about other things. What, what do you want to do? Yeah. Um, and it kind of really hit home. What, what options were offered to you? Then what sort of things did they say would suit Jack? And this is what I got really annoyed about. The teachers would always say, what do you want to do when you grow up? Well, you tell me. You're the teacher. Yeah. You, you teach me. And this is what I was craving. I was craving someone to tell me what to do. Inspiration, exactly. Did you have any role models growing up? So, yeah. So then I got into this really dark place and I ended up going to the prosthetic centre, the limb centre, and I was having some work done. And my mum had mentioned to my prosthesis that I was, you know, really struggling. Is there anyone that I can speak to? And so this is it, after having the surgery? No, this is before, this is before, before my amputation. An, before your amputation, right. I was about 12 years old. Okay. And um, they said, well, by chance, there is a guy next door. His name's Louis Brownsell. He's a larger-than-life character, big, big character. Uh, you want to chat to him. So he's and a patient, isn't he? He was a patient, right. yeah. Started talking to this guy. Uh, well, mum did most of the talking at the time. Uh, he was born exactly the same as me, with a very similar condition. Oh, that's rare like, to meet someone yeah, like that. Yeah, I know, yeah. yeah, exactly, yeah. And uh, again, this first time I'd ever met someone who was my, in my condition. Mm-hmm. Had his leg amputated when he was 16, and he now called himself a one-legged stuntman. 
Right. He'd just been filming Saving Private Ryan with Steven Spielberg being oh, blown wow. up on the beach. He showed me all these photos. He was the figure of the mummy. He was the yeah. outline of the mummy. Um, camera phones weren't around back then. So he got his wallet out. He showed me about six different girls yeah. he was dating. He just blew my mind in terms of inspiration. He'd just been over to America, filmed with Leonardo DiCaprio. He was living the lifestyle. He like was, a celebrity lifestyle. Absolutely. Yeah. And that was what was, you know, I really aspired to be like that. And mm. that, that was purely my focus. From the age of 12, I said, I want my leg amputated. I want to be like Louis. I want to be a one-legged stuntman. Wow. Which, of course, I'm making my mum and my family <laughs> listen to me say, I want my leg cut off. Yeah, they were like, quite Whoa. hard to hear yeah, that, isn't yeah, it? And yeah. Do you, are you spiritual? Do you believe you were supposed to meet that guy that day? Yeah, no, I'm spiritual. Definitely very spiritual. Um, yeah, I believe. That, that really set my life. Mm. You know, one of the first things that I did, I had my leg amputated at 16. By the age of 18, I joined an agency and I was being blown up on sets, ripped apart by werewolves and vampires. So You don't mess around. <laughs> <laughs> my God. Yeah. So to get to this surgery, did you have to convince your parents? Because when you consent, don't you have to be 18 to consent to yeah. it? Yeah. So you'd have to get your mum and dad's permission. Yeah. So they originally said that I wasn't allowed to amputate until I was 18. Yeah. And this was to get the measurements right of my leg because you can't mm. cut the, the stump too long or You're too short. Because well. I was still growing. Yeah. So they wanted to get the measurements right. But it got to the point where I was so down about life, lost and whatever, I was like, if you don't cut it off, I will. Yeah. I convinced them to, to amputate mm-hmm. uh, age of 16. And um, yeah, it was the best thing that could happen. It's a massive physical recovery to go through the age of 16. Like mm. the amount of physio and rehabilitation you yeah. must have had to... I mean, that blows my mind. I mean, mm. I obviously get a completely different... My story's not... There's no parallels in in the physical of our stories. Yeah. But, you know, I know, I know what it's like to go through extensive rehabilitation mm. in my early 20s, and it was frustrating. Yeah. So at 16, I can't imagine mm. how hard it must have been to see friends... Well, what do people do at 16? They meet girls, they yeah. get drunk, they go out, yeah. and you, you're, like, in this huge medical yeah. journey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, I grew up pretty quick. Yeah. because of it um i was again very naive of what the amputation meant you know there's pictures of me just about to go into the hospital bed and i've got my thumbs up smiling at the camera i'm you know, naive the, and yeah yeah i was in a very immature frame of mind actually and i discharged myself from after five days of my leg amputated i've done things like that yeah yeah, yeah and i caught septicemia and mrsa wow and i went back in for two more weeks mm-hmm. and yeah stuff like that so you know it was a massive learning curve mm-hmm um, but that's being young and being impatient, and that's understandable, isn't yeah. it? Like you just want to close one chapter and, and open the door to another one. Yeah. So when after you had this amputation, it was a long road. Was for people who don't understand that the medical reasons behind this. What did you think you would gain and lose by by doing the amputation? What was your motive? I mean, we know you met this guy; he inspired you. Yeah. But your your leg was physically holding you back. Yeah, my leg was physically holding me back, and uh, it was very deformed. Mm-hmm. In terms of like underdeveloped around the muscle, right. the knee joint didn't work properly, and my hip joint didn't still doesn't work very well. Um, but Louis, this guy who inspired me, had his leg amputated, and he was now walking around with a metal leg with a knee, and he could sit there with two bent legs, which I couldn't do. Wow. Okay. So things for me like getting on public transport, I couldn't do. My leg was up straight. I couldn't go on roller coasters. I couldn't go to a cinema because my leg was up straight. Mm-hmm. There was lots of things that was really stri- restricted, even going on like flights and like, of course. getting on planes. And no runner. No, no, exactly. <laughs> because, you know, I'm six foot two and I've, yeah. I have been for a long time and having a straight leg was very, very impractical. So the thing for me 
again, I keep using this word crave, but I was craving being normal. I mean, that's the that's the ironic thing about your story, right? So you went and, like you said, electively had your leg removed yeah. and became an amputee. But from the way you're talking, it sounds like before this removal, in the period in your life prior, you felt depressed, down and identified as disabled. And then now what society says is disabled yeah. by removing your leg, you break free of that label and now you don't identify yeah, as disabled. Absolutely. So this is this is actually like this whole interview isn't really about the physical body. This is a lot about the mind, is it? Yeah, it really is. The thing is, I've always had it within me. I've always had a fire in my belly to be better than someone. Mm-hmm. And in my own way... That's the PT in you. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Competitive bunch, yeah. you PT. It is, it is. But even when I was a child... I found my own way of trying to be better than the next person. I was always trying to fight for being better. Mm-hmm. And it was really hard, you know, when I was, you know, I'm not, I'm not the sort of person to want to sit still for too long because I get very uncomfortable. I'm not the sort of person, you know, I lost this ability to be fast on my feet because my leg was getting worse. So mm-hmm. kind well, of yeah, where'd you go from You there? did sit still, from what, 12 to 16 mm. was a period where you did sit still, yeah. right? Yeah. What was that period like? It was tough. It was really tough. You know, I used drugs and alcohol to as a mask. And what, to, did you develop an addiction, like a dependency? Yeah, absolutely. So I was smoking weed every single day. I was smoking, drinking. I was doing class A's, class B's at the weekends, sometimes weekdays as well. I think because, you know, apart from Louis being my role model, my other role models were people like Tupac, Eminem. Like mm-hmm. that was the sort of music I was listening to and that's the, the way I dressed and yeah. you know, all the rest of it. So you know, drugs was part of their music. So for me to be doing drugs, smoking or whatever, I thought I was making this hard image. So were you fitting in? Was that like an I element? Was defi- yeah, 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 I was fitting in, yeah, yeah. You know, I've had uh, problems myself in my recovery with um, using alcohol as an outlet for pain and mm. for confidence. And actually, when you're on any kind of rehabilitation or treatment, mm. drugs and alcohol obviously damage the body even further. Yeah, yeah. And you're, you're already fighting mm. damage as it is. So yeah. that must have hindered your yeah. medical condition. It did. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I discharged myself from hospital after five days having my leg amputated. I got caught smoking a spliff out the hospital window. Right, okay. So they were kind of like, I fell out with the nurses and I was told to go home. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I went home and instead of healing, I was still in the garage smoking dope. And, yeah, and that's yeah. why, you, you know, you're thinning the blood, like you're mm-hmm. doing also, I mean, as a PT, I guess you know all that now. Yeah. But yeah. 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 Wow. So, I mean, how do you go from being, like, it, this may sound crude, but like a drug addict yeah. to an athlete, a Mr. Mm. England? Yeah. Like, that's a big transition. Yeah. Yeah. I think, so I, I was then rushed back in hospital with suspected MRSA and septicemia. Mm -hmm. I spent two weeks in hospital. I actually spent New Year's Eve in hospital, 16 years old. I told my family and my mum and that to go home. I spent New Year's Eve on my own in hospital with a raging infection. Mm -hmm. And it it just, I had like an epiphany. It just dawned on me. I just started drawing. And I was really into artwork at the time. I was studying art and design at college. And I just drew me in a hospital bed with, you know, surgeons like cutting, cutting into me. Um, and I, for some reason, just started to think about what can I do? What can I do that's going to be amazing? And I wanted yeah. to be a firefighter. My stepdad at the time was a firefighter. Okay. And I wanted to be a firefighter. Did my research, found out there was two guys who were currently serving as an amputee. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were below the knee. So I'd be the first above knee amputee to make it in. Right. Spent the next three years of my life. That probably motivated you to know you'd be yeah. the first. Well, this is it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it really did. It really yeah. did. And as soon as I left hospital, you know, I stopped smoking, stopped drinking, joined the gym. Um, and 
that was my turning point. So is this where the journey of becoming a PT started when you joined a gym then? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. So I really focused on becoming a firefighter. Mm-hmm. I did a little bit of youth work on the side as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and part of the youth work that we were doing, we were teaching uh, 12 to 18 year olds about health and fitness. And I ended up going on a, a an active uh, course so mm-hmm. that I could teach them. Right. And it just sparked my um, excitement for teaching fitness. And were there ever people around you, maybe, I don't know, an older generation or whatever generation, raising the eyebrows like, mm, well, he can't be a PT. Mm-hmm. He can't, he, people won't take fitness advice of him. Yeah, I'm sure. Do you know what? Like, I have been, I have wiggled my fingers again, disabled my whole life. You know, I'm pretty numb to rejection. Mm-hmm. I've got to, especially got to the point now in my life where I, I am just numb to rejection. But so. that's an interesting concept because some people who face constant rejection, mm. um, give up. Mm. But you, rejection for you, you just you've just become immune. Yeah, but I'm 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 very confident in my ability now. Mm-hmm. So I know what I can achieve. So when you became a PT, did you have insecurities or reservations about will I get any clients? Will I be able to make a living off this? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'll soon prove wrong. So as soon as I became a personal trainer, I had clients coming to me so quick. You know, people thought I was ex-military. And that's what you know, that's what it really brought them in. People were just interested to talk to me. You could just make up a lie that you got blown up or something. (laughs) Eaten by a shark or whatever it is, yeah. (laughs) But uh, so, you know, I was I was attracting people. People were interested in my story, people were interested Mm. in my training technique. And because I'm you know, I train myself really hard, I've always trained like an athlete. You know, the amount of times I get somebody come up to me, oh, I've really hurt my knee, but I've just seen you doing squats 140. How would you do that? Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm like, okay, I'll show you. Yeah. Pay me some money. <laughs> yeah. So actually it's been an icebreaker in that way, yeah. has it? An intro to yeah. to get clients. Yeah. Do you still work as a PT now? Uh, I do a bit of online training. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And do you specialise then? Do you help other amputees? Has that been like a niche thing? Without without actually pushing it as that. Yeah, right. absolutely. You know, I've had p- amputees from all over the world contacting me uh, and asking me questions about training and um, just just very interested in my story and how I've got to where I am and you know before I was I was very self-conscious about my body I used to wear two pairs of trousers to try and hide my leg Mm -hmm. you know since 2012 when I joined this modeling campaign um, I'm now happy to stand in my boxes and to show off my body and people were actually asking me how to get a body like mine which is a massive like circle it's a big spin yeah you know complete contrast of what it was before but not just for you but within society like Mm. for people to look at somebody Mm. that say 10 years ago we would have you know i remember being at school and the only experience i had of an amputee it was the people we have to raise money for in our school group yeah. and and that was it like they were we I don't think we even had paralympians no. at school no. so you know and they weren't seen as anything other than somebody we should have empathy and understanding for yeah um so for people to aspire yeah. uh, to look like you mm. and you to be their body goals i mean that's actually quite a big social movement isn't it's, it yeah it's huge yeah it was really huge and i think you know 2012 uh, paralympics really moved that they mm-hmm. really helped with that that shift, you know, the, calling them superhumans, and yeah. you know that that really helped. And also the injured servicemen coming back from, you know, war or whatever, and doing amazing things like walking across um, Antarctica or whatever it was, yeah. you know, doing amazing things. They've they've really changed that perception of disability. For me at school, when I looked at somebody with a disability, you know, they were villains. Mm-hmm. They were like James Bond villains. They were Captain Hooks missing an arm. They were, you know, it was. It was somebody you didn't want to be like. Yeah. It was somebody who was freaky and ugly and, mm-hmm. you know, was in the naughty corner. 
Yeah, it's true. I mean, it's why w- what we believe is beautiful. Is mm. It's why we're conditioned to believe only certain ideals mm. are beautiful. Yeah. Or even, like you said, you know, certain bodies are only able of achieving physical greatness. Yeah. What I find interesting about you is you hold this title. You're the current Mr. England, yeah. but you're not Mr. Disabled no, England. You, no. your, com- your peers and your competitors are yeah. able-bodied men. Yeah. So you weren't the most inspiring guy with no leg. No. So, I mean, that's quite a big thing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I will I will deliberately try and avoid any situation where it is just disabled people right. in a situation like that, apart from, obviously, the Olympics, the Paralympic stuff that I'm doing now, which is, you know, slightly different. Yeah. But, um, yeah, in, in the past, I've always tried to avoid any situations like that. Because, actually, it's not really celebrating no. what you're about, is it? And no. it's still putting you... Yeah you know, in the, in that pigeonhole. And, you know, I mean, I'll find sometimes if people write articles about me, they'll kind of label me like, I don't know, like inspiring burnt yeah. girl. And you're like, what even is what that? Like, yeah. how, how is that helping anything? And, you know, one small part of me is that I, I got burnt, but there's loads of other parts to me. And, yeah. and sometimes, you know, trying to shake off, like, like do you want to be people's inspiration? I've set my I've set it a goal to become a role model because that's what changed my life. Louis changed my life forever. Mm. He was a role model to me. Yeah. The fact that he had one leg is because I connected with him. So if I you know, there's other guys out there with one leg, there's other people who are suffering. So if I can connect with somebody and become a role model, then yeah. Mm. Being Mr. Inspiration, it's a bit Yeah. yeah I'm not really in it's um, a grey line though, isn't it? It's really yeah. tough. <laughs> Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girly? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, not, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. Jack, in part one, we were talking about um, how you faced adversity and how you overcame that. And actually, through a condition you were born with, you chose to have your leg amputated. Yeah. And then now I'm introducing you as Mr. England. Yeah. Tell me how we got from A to B and where is C? (laughs) How does one become Mr. England? Sure. I think the biggest thing for me is I took control of my life. And Mm -hmm. that was the thing that I always wanted to do. I took control of my life. I had elective surgery, had my leg amputated. I didn't really know where it was going to lead to, but the biggest thing for me, I wanted to join this agency and I wanted to be a one-legged stuntman. Mm -hmm. Through this agency work, I was then invited to um, take part in the 2012 Paralympic opening ceremony. Right. I trained with a circle. I I took part in that. Did you? Yeah. The opening ceremony? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, what did you do? I was a torch carrier. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, oh, brilliant. yeah. Cool. Uh, we were, so we were climbing ropes. We were tumbling down in the middle. Of course you were. Yeah. yeah with, with one leg. Of course you were. Spent yeah. no less. Yeah. So I spent four months training with a circus school in London. Right. And uh, they taught us how to fly around in harnesses, sort of 30 metres in the air, how to climb 10-foot ropes and tumble down doing cabaret-style performances. And was this one of the first times that people had said, you can do this? Yeah. Like, this is totally open yeah. to you? Yeah. Like... So there was a selection process and it started off with, I don't know, 80 people going through, all with different disabilities. And it got whittled down to about 40. And I, I made the selection process because wow. of my 
my determination and my physical ability, I guess. How did that feel? It was great. It, yeah, it was amazing. And the money was fantastic. And <laughs> Always helps. <laughs> I, was, I was getting out of, you know, where I, I've always wanted to live in London and it allowed me to live in London for four months and experience that sort of thing. So it was, mm-hmm. it was a huge experience. It was amazing. And then, of course, you perform this daring cabaret style performance in front of 80,000 people and the royal family and it's on TV no pressure no exactly yeah <laughs> but it was my first taste of the limelight right okay um and it was it was incredible it was and it the the whole story behind it of using disabled people was to break these barrier the barrier of disability being yeah. weak and vulnerable in such an unconventional way you yeah. know and it doesn't feel like a tick box tokenism mm. tokenism yeah. thing so did that inspire you then to say I, I want a piece of this and I can do this yeah so I I really wanted a little bit more of the limelight so mm-hmm. I kind of looked for the next thing I came across uh, an advert in a, in a magazine um, and the advert was for a campaign called Models of Diversity mm-hmm. and they were looking for more mod- models in mm-hmm. a um, diverse models in the fashion industry and I was a personal trainer at the time and I thought let's try a bit of fitness modeling mm-hmm. I went and met Angel St. Clair who's the founder she gave me some tips and some workshops on wow. how to use my body and use the, the work with the lighting so that the camera could take some really good pictures okay and um, it kind of all went from there really but I mean after being involved with models diversity I was then pushed into more fashion okay I, ended up being the first amputee to walk at New York Fashion Week. Really? I then went oh to Milan gosh. Fashion Week, wow. I went to Moscow Fashion Week and then walked to London Fashion Week. Yeah. And then I was then given a talk in uh, the NEC Clothes Show in Birmingham right? Um, on body confidence. Yeah. And that's when I was talent spotted for the Mr. England. Right. So, so they, they approached oh, me. this just gets better. Like, you, <laughs> he didn't enter, guys. He got headhunted. <laughs> so, uh, you know. The that's fact good that, for your confidence. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So I went in there knowing that I ticked a few boxes. Yeah. So the things you need to do, uh, you need to submit a talent. So yeah. for me, it was water skiing. I, you submit it on YouTube and it's mm-hmm. all based on views and likes. Right, okay. And then you have to do social media where people have to like and share mm-hmm. uh, a picture. And then you have to do public vote where people have to ring in or text in. It's mm-hmm. all to do with the public. And I, I won that round. Wow. Um, I, Were you the only person who entered with a disability? Yes, yeah. yeah. And I am. I, I still am. I'm the right. only person who's kind of entered. E- ever? I think so. Yeah, as wow. far as I'm aware. Definitely amputee. I don't know about disability. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, you have to do general knowledge. Then you have to do fitness testing. Then there's the topless catwalk. And then there's sportswear. And then there's tux. There's questions and answers on stage in front of a live audience. Uh, there's charity, you have to raise a certain amount of money for charity. So there's there's lots and lots of boxes, mm-hmm. and I managed to do pretty well. I worked really hard for three months on the lead-up to the finals of the Mr. England. Mm-hmm. And did you ever at any stage feel inadequate or or at less of a contestant compared to anyone else? Did you ever get those feelings creeping in? I The only feelings I had sort of creeping in were I didn't want to win this just because of my leg. Right. Because then the I, whole thing would be pointless. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I had um, TV cameras following me around, and one of the interviews... Um, we had was they said how's how's it going to feel when when you win the title and I'm like what do you mean when I win I haven't won it yet Um, and they were like I can't remember exactly what they said but they they hinted towards my leg you know said you're very inspirational because of your leg Mm. and I was just like I don't want to win this because of my leg did that annoy you? it did really annoy me and they said it in front of the other contestants as well Yeah, and them and my mates you know they're all like the guys that I've been bonding with the last three days Mm -hmm. you know and to hear that was it really kind of took it away yeah because you should win on all your merits and credits not on not on a sympathy act absolutely yeah yeah Yeah. so yeah that did annoy me a little bit but you did win Mm -hmm. and you were you won for the right reasons yes yeah yeah 
And now you're planning world domination, <laughs> I hear. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, so What's January next? January next year is Mr. World. Uh, it's over in Manila in the Philippines. Right. Uh, I'm the only amputee that's going. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be it's going to be amazing. It's going to be... And you're confident? Yeah, I'm confident. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're yeah, anything... Yeah. Well, you're, I don't expect anything less from you. <laughs> it's funny because I always get asked to judge um, these competitions, like the regional heats yeah. and Miss Great Britain. And I always say no, because I always wrongly think it's about mm. um, judging women's worth on yeah. their appearance. But yeah. actually... Now listening to you, I guess Things actually changed. it's changed. It's yeah. moved on. Yeah. Like pad- pageants as, as we know them yeah. aren't, aren't actually that anymore. Then. No, no. I mean, it, technically I've won a beauty pageant. <laughs> yeah, technically you have. But it's kind of not really, you're not really allowed to call it pageants anymore. It's right. more of a competition around the modern man. Yeah. yeah. So this is a really nice final thought. Do you represent the modern man? I'd like to think I do, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I've got, you know... Because of my personal training background as well, you know, people come to me asking me for advice mm. on how to better their way of life. So that is, you know, that's becoming a role model. And I believe the modern man should always have that sort of air about them. People should always kind of like want to be like them and look up to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Because the younger you, maybe the message would have been reinforced that you'll never be the no. modern man. No. Because this is a permanent thing. Yeah. And you've got to learn to adapt and live in possibly whatever life you can you know a mediocre just about getting through yeah don't aspire beyond this yeah. and, and just accept a, a, some kind of safety net yeah i mean what would you say to people listening you don't have to be an amputee to be listening and getting something from this no. anybody that may be mentally where you were at mm. or physically where you were at when you were younger what what advice would you give to those people Take control. Take control of your life. Like, mm. you don't have to just follow it day by day. Like, mm-hmm. take control. Actually set a goal. Get some inspiration. The hardest thing is to try and find inspiration. Like, if you're in a really dark, down place, what do you want to do? It's really hard to find that. What do you want to do? Mm-hmm. But that's the most important thing. Be realistic. You know, it's good to surround yourself with great people because mm-hmm. great things happen. So I don't mean going to the pub and trying to look for someone there. Yeah. Go to the gym and actually surround yourself with someone you want to be like. Or yeah. go and start a sport and, you know, your local sports club or whatever. Or, you know, there's lots of different ways. Whatever inspires you, that's only things that would inspire me. Yeah. You, know, you don't have to be gym or sport. It could be um, down the local theatre or whatever yeah. it might be, you know. Whatever gets you going, exactly. your interests. Yeah. yeah. But it's about yeah. really homing in on what makes you tick. Mm-hmm. And I knew that from the start, I think. Mm-hmm. What, what really inspired me. What but you had to up. just channel it and, and you yeah. had to, like you said, tune into it. Yeah. We've had an email in from a young man called Michael. And uh, actually, he's got a, a firefighter background like you. He said, I'll try to keep it brief. I worked as a firefighter for 11 years and I attended many different incidents, but one caused me major problems. After months, I was diagnosed with uh, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. I ended up a virtual recluse and I gained over 40 kilos in weight and I suffered panic attacks, rage and flashbacks. After different medication and counselling, I was referred to a programme aimed at overweight men. I completed the course on my confidence has started to return and I lost some weight. I started volunteering with them for the last 18 months and have helped at three meetings a week. I've now made great progress in my mental health as well as losing over 30 kg. Wow, I mean, that's something we've sort of touched on. You've talked about mental health. Yeah. Um, And obviously this guy's journey with, with the PTSD, that is, you know, 
being locked in within the mind. Yeah. Have you found being a man, I mean, I obviously sit opposite you, I, I had PTSD on my journey. Yeah. And I think as women, we're quite encouraged to talk about mm. the mental health side of things. What's it been like for you as a man? I think um, I tend to avoid, I used to tend to avoid, if I, if I ever found myself in an uncomfortable situation or I've had uncomfortable thoughts, I used to avoid the thoughts, mm. which actually doesn't help at all. It's about tackling those thoughts mm-hmm. as soon as they come about. And you can ask for help for that. There's, there's a lot of awareness nowadays in the media and there's a lot of stuff going on out there that can really help you focus on what it is that's making you feel uncomfortable, that's making you feel, yeah, and you can work on that. Do you think it's important, I mean, that you've come here today and you've been very open in talking not just about your successes, but also when you did rely on unhealthy things yeah. and, and when things were bad. I mean, it's about being honest, isn't it, about your journey? Yeah, absolutely. It's about being honest. You know, this guy, this guy um, he's a firefighter. He wants to help. He wants to do amazing things. Mm. It's really good that he started to volunteer. Mm-hmm. And I, before you said about before you read out about the volunteer, I was almost going to say, yeah, he needs to volunteer at this place right. because he wants to help people. Yeah. So that's fantastic, you know, and that's, that was really going to help him. Is that what you, do you do quite a lot of charity stuff yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah I think, I think charity work is, is really important. Because there's a, there's a quote, which I'm not going to get right now, but there is a quote I saw the other day on Instagram about happiness is actually about what you give to others. Because really you say the word charity, there's no act, there's no self less act because when you go and enable and help somebody else you do get a feeling of satisfaction yeah and you know it, we started this interview with you warning me that you might swear if you, <laughs> if you get if you get passionate yeah but when when you do have something you become passionate about yeah. you actually get joy from it and yeah. you actually get fulfillment from it and most people's passions lie within helping others absolutely really yeah, yeah. and it, i think it's one of those things that in, in nowadays society if you want to give your time to somebody you expect to be paid for it Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think that's become a bit foggy, you know. I think if you want to do something, yeah. regardless you're going to get paid, as long as you get some enjoyment from it or as long as you get an experience from it or as long as somebody else gets some experience from it or enjoyment from it, then mm. you need to go ahead and do it. Stop worrying about the money. Like The money will come. Yeah, that will follow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you've talked a lot about many defining moments on your journey. Is there one piece of advice that st- has stayed with you that somebody's given you? I really like this quote, surround yourself with great people and great things happen. Yeah, I love but- that. But my favourite all-time quote is life begins outside of your comfort zone, so learn to embrace it and get used to it. That's so good. That's a great one for the gym when you just want to give up on those sets. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's excellent. You know what? You've really um, motivated me. I was supposed to go running this morning and mm-hmm. I hit snooze. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I think I might go running after this podcast. But thank you for sharing, Not like I said, not just the highs, but yeah. also the lows, because I think that's really important. Yeah. Um, and I look forward to getting you back in the seat when you're Mr. World. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank you, Katie. Thank you. Good luck. Thank you thank for you. coming. Thanks for listening to Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Next week, I'm talking to Denise Fergus, the mother of James Bolger. We talk about her fight for justice for James, her campaigning and charity work, and she will make sure James will never be forgotten. If you enjoyed this, please help us spread the word. Rate and review the show where you got this or share on socials.